Oh, good morning. So, so good to be here with you, to be worshiping our Lord together, to hear his word together. So grateful for what God is doing here in our church. Um, last week, we were, uh, we were with Saul, and uh, we, we saw this, this dramatic conversion, Saul on the road to Damascus. This was, a, this was a, a young prodigy in first century Judaism, full of, full of zeal, full of zeal for the Lord's honor, which led him to try to do everything he could to stamp out this movement of followers of Jesus. And yet he met Jesus on the road. He, he recognized right away that Jesus was in fact risen from the dead, vindicated by God, the glorious and majestic one, and, and that he had actually been persecuting the Messiah who he had been waiting all his life for. And so in a moment, his whole worldview was, was shattered. This, this, um, this prideful, young, zealous prodigy in a moment became this, this broken, dependent, repentant man. And he was led by, he was, he was blinded by the encounter with glory. And so he was led by hand into Damascus, refused to eat or drink for three days because I think he was just overwhelmed with sorrow at what he had done. Now, what we're gonna look at today is what life was like for Saul in those early days and months and even years after, after uh, meeting Jesus. And, and we're gonna ask if that teaches us anything about our own life with Christ and, and what we should expect if we commit our lives to him. And so to get into that, Ken is gonna read Acts 9 verses 10 to 30, and I'm, I'm gonna pray as she comes up here. So Lord, we wanna invite you, uh, Lord, to speak to us this morning. Lord, you are so good as we have sung. And even when we go through the trials and the, the difficulties of life, including those that come because we are following you, you are so good. You are so faithful. You do not let us down. You bring us through. You carry us through the whole way. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for how you did that in Saul's life, for how you do that in our lives. And I pray you would encourage us today. I pray for those who are coming and are, are feeling discouraged, are feeling weak, are feeling overwhelmed, that today, Lord, you would speak a word of comfort to them, that you are with them in the midst of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Kenna, Acts 9. Acts 9, uh, yeah, verses 10 to 30. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he's praying. In a vision, he had seen a man named Ananias come to a place, come to come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with his disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard from him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? 
Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night, lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really the disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to, his, to the apostles. Sorry, apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fiercely in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the, brother, oh, sorry. when the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Thanks, Kenna. Awesome. So what we have here is actually the, the first three years of Saul's life after meeting Christ. And I know when you hear it, you, you maybe think it's just a, a few weeks, but, but Galatians 1 gives us a little bit more clarity. So uh, Paul there is, as he's known at that point, is sharing his testimony with the Galatians. And he says to them, I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. So what we have in, in uh, Acts 9 is a very condensed form of this. There's a, I got a little map here for you even, a little multimedia presentation. Look at that. Wow. Uh, so this is kind of what happens with Saul. He's in Damascus, and he ends up spending three, three years in total there. But in the middle of it, according to what he says in Galatians, he takes a trip down to Arabia. Some scholars think he, he visits Mount Sinai, perhaps. But in any case, he goes to Arabia, comes back to Damascus, and then, after three years, this, there's this plot to take his life. He escapes from Damascus by being lowered by in a basket from the walls. My kids really wanted to act that part out. None of the rest of this sounded appealing, but that part they really liked. Uh, and then he ends up going to, to Jerusalem. So that's kind of three years. That, that's kind of what we're looking at today. And, and, and let's just, that last part, the, the death threat and the escape sounds pretty harrowing, but let's start with a, with a happier, start on a happier note that the, the initial experience for Saul after, after those few days of lament and, and fasting, the initial experience for, for Saul would have been euphoria. It would have been uh, immense healing and, and restoration. So Jesus, Jesus arranges for this meeting between Ananias and, and Saul. And it doesn't really leave any doubt about it, right? Like he tells Ananias the street address and everything. Uh, do you ever have a dream and you're like, I don't know if that was from God or not. I don't know if I'm supposed to do something with that. Like, like am I supposed to try to fly to Mars in a bathtub or was that just the sushi I ate last night? Like, who knows? But here, there's no doubt about it. Clearly, Jesus was, was bringing this meeting about. And, and we'll look at Ananias' response in a little bit, but he enters the home, lays his hands on, on Saul, and, and Saul's uh, blindness is, is healed. Scales fall from his eyes. He is baptized. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And after three days of not eating or drinking anything, he has his, his strength restored. Take something to eat and, and to drink. Let's look at each one of those, like one, one by one, and, and, and kind of put ourselves in Saul's shoes. Let's talk about the, the blindness thing. Have you ever had, like you woke up in the morning and you had some newfound pain or, or condition in your body? 
you ever had that and you're like, I don't know, is this, is this now the rest of my life that I'm dealing with this or is this just for a couple of hours? You don't know, right? And, and so for Saul to have this sudden blindness strike him, I mean, that would be alarming. I can't imagine what it would be like to lose your sight in a moment and not to know if it was ever going to come back. And here, all of a sudden, Ananias lays his hands on him and and darkness turns to light. He's able to see again. That would have been incredible. What a relief for Saul. Let's talk about the the filled with the Holy Spirit thing. You know, first of all, Saul had grown up hearing the promises of the prophets that God would pour out his spirit. So there was that part. But also he was a man who was filled with zeal, filled with rage, driven forward in life by this. Some of you know what that's like. To have this this kind of rage, this this storm inside of you. And yet here in a moment, Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit. He knows a peace. He knows a love that he has never known before. What an incredible thing that would have been to have the presence of God who he had served all his life now filling him within. That would be amazing. Let's talk about the baptism thing. Some of you have have struggled with, you you feel like you're stuck in a rut and that you continually go back to old identities, old ways of living. Saul goes through the waters of baptism and knows that he is a new creation, that he has died to his old self and he is now living a new life. Uh, You've seen it on the faces of those who have been baptized the last few weeks here at the bridge. We don't have a baptism today, but in the last few weeks we we had baptisms and you saw the joy on people's faces as, as they went through the waters. I mean, imagine Saul, given where he had come from, going through the waters, being born into a new life. And then even the, even the food and the drink thing. Three days um, when our son Zachary had his heart surgery just basically a year ago when he came out of the surgery, I don't remember exactly the medical reason why. I'm sure some of you can fill me in again. But he couldn't drink any water for for hours and hours afterwards. And and the poor guy is begging, begging for water. And they'd take a little sponge and dab it on his lips. That was all they could do. And, uh, and so I could just imagine three days, just the, how, how, how desperate you would be for, for water, for food, for sustenance. And so finally having that, being, being able to have your thirst satisfied, what a joy that would be. And besides all of that, Saul is, is, is likely experiencing things he's never experienced before. He, he, he knows the promises of the prophets and, and now he realizes that those have been fulfilled by Jesus. His, the longings of his own heart, the story of his people have been fulfilled by Jesus. He who had persecuted the church knows that he is loved and forgiven, deeply loved by Jesus. Again, I would just think that for Saul, it's just one thing after the next of kind of overwhelming grace and goodness of God. Not to be too irreverent or anything, but I wonder if it would have been a, sim- a similar experience to falling in love where just the world becomes alive in a new way. You experience things you never thought possible. I think that's what Saul, Saul kind of went through in, in this, this initial period. But if Saul thought that his whole life now was just going to be sunshine and rainbows on a warm July day, I don't know, that doesn't, that doesn't work. There would have to be rain. Sunshine and butterflies on a warm July day for the rest of his life, he would have been sorely mistaken. And I don't think he did expect that because he had been on the other side of this. He knew how people treated and saw followers of Jesus. So I don't think he expected life to go easy, but some of us do, right? We think that 
that being a Christian should be easy and pain-free. And if there's difficulty, especially if there's difficulty caused by our faith in Jesus, we think something's gone terribly wrong. We think maybe this isn't worth it after all. We need to learn something from Saul, from his life. We need to learn that, that, that hardship is to be expected, that it's par for the course, and that God always, always brings us through it. So for Saul, the, the road ahead was going to be one of joy, but it was not going to be a smooth road. There were going to be difficulties from all perspectives, from the perspective of his past, his present, and his future. And so let's look at those. Let's look at his past, first of all. When Saul became a new creation, sealed by baptism, uh, it wasn't that everybody just forgot who he was. It wasn't like, you know, in Men in Black where Will Smith flashes the bright white light thing and then everybody just kind of forgets what had happened in the last years. Millennial movie reference, there you go. Um, it, it wasn't like that for Saul or for, for those around him. They remembered who he was. And so you look at, look at Ananias, for example. Jesus tells Ananias, I want you to go, I want you to go visit Saul. And Ananias' first response is, um... You sure about this, God? Sometimes I, uh, you know, if you've got a few people in your contacts list with the same name, you end up calling one, you meant to call the other, you know, and it's like really embarrassing. Maybe, maybe you had a nice thinking, God, you've got a few Saul's in your directory. Maybe you're calling the wrong one here. You got, you got the wrong guy. But, but God says, no, th this, this is the man. Now, now Saul's response is understandable. Sorry, Ananias' response is understandable because Ananias knows that Saul is coming to Damascus to arrest people exactly like him. Like he is the primary target. This would be like a Jew during World War II receiving a vision to go speak to a Nazi general who right now is rounding up other Jews in the town. It's not like it's this guy's distant past. Like last you heard, he's up to this right now. And so, of course, Ananias goes, I really don't want to do this. And this is a problem because Saul's, Saul's healing and equipping depends on the trust of Ananias. And, and Ananias is having a pretty difficult time trusting him given Saul's past. And so what is God going to do about this? This is a pickle. This is a dilemma. Well, here's what God does. He, he is emphatic. He's persistent. He tells Ananias, go. This is the man. I have chosen him. Trust me. See, maybe some of you can relate. Maybe some of you have a past. You, you've got you, actions and a reputation in the past that make it difficult for people to really trust that God has, has called you, has sent you, that the people don't receive you because of what lies in the past. And you might get frustrated with that. You, you, might, you might feel angry about that. You might bear that burden on you and feel like it's your job to try to change their minds. Don't feel that way. I mean, you can feel that way if you want, but, but it's not your burden to carry. If God has called you, he will make a way forward. He, he will provide for you. He will speak to his people and show them that you are his. You can trust him in this. Now, the same thing happens to Saul in a parallel experience towards the end of the passage when he goes to Jerusalem. Now, at this point, like we said, it's three years already. So some workplaces have the sign that says like blank number of days since last workplace accident. For Saul, it's like, well, it's been 1,100 days since his last persecution. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good amount of time. 
And yet, when he comes to Jerusalem, this is what we read, verse 26, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. And again, you can't really blame them for this. Because even if it was three years, and even if they had heard that Saul was a changed man, their lasting memory of Saul, the last time they had seen him, he was putting the finishing touches on Stephen, the first Christian martyr. He had overseen Stephen's death. And, 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 he, um, and, and he had gotten authority from the chief priest to go to Damascus and arrest other Christians. So that's what they remembered of Saul. So of course, of course they're going, I, I, don't, know, I don't know about this guy. And in steps Barnabas, one of the great human heroes of the book of Acts. Um, Barnabas was introduced to us in Acts chapter 4. If you, if you turn back a few pages, he was, uh, he was introduced to us as a man who sold uh, property and gave all the proceeds to be distributed to those in need. So a generous man, an open heart. And we're told there that his name meant son of encouragement. So he's a man with a, a soft heart and a man who is known for, for encouraging others. And that's what he does here. Nobody believes Saul. Nobody wants him around. They, they're, they're, they're terrified of him. They're terrified that this is just one long con. He's a double agent. But Barnabas sticks his neck out for the guy. He vouches for him. He says, no, I have seen him. I've heard him preach about Jesus. I, I know that he saw Jesus, encountered him. In fact, I bet you Barnabas could have told them he has actually been persecuted for being a believer, far from persecuting believers. He's been on the other side of this. That would be a terrible con job if that was the case. Well, maybe a really good one. But anyways, Barnabas says, you can trust. This guy puts, puts his neck out there for him. And, and I just, I want to encourage us to look at Barnabas and to say, I, I, want, I want to be like that guy. I, I want to have a heart that is soft, that, that is open to others. I want to encourage others. I, I, want to, I want to build others up. I want to give people opportunities to serve God and grow in their God-given giftedness instead of shutting anything down because of something that exists in the past. We, we want to be people of grace, don't we? I think Barnabas really shows that to us. But this is also a word of, of comfort for those who find themselves, again, in the shoes of someone like Saul. Because um, God speaks to Ananias about, about Saul's calling, and then he speaks through Barnabas to others about his calling. That, that again, God makes a way. That, that no one's past is too great for God to work through them in the present. This is the incredible thing. Our God is the God of second chances. Our God is the God who forgives and restores and redeems. Psalm 103 says that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 130 says that if, if the Lord kept a record of sins, none of us could stand. But that with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. That your past, your past is not too great for God's grace to work through, to, uh, to, to redeem, to use for his glory. Isn't that, isn't that encouraging? Isn't that good news that that's who our God is and that's what he's done in Christ Jesus? that he has made us new and that he will make a way even when our past seems to hinder us. Isn't that good news? Maybe, yeah? 
You can say, you can say, yes, it is good news. Yes, you can. You are allowed to respond. Anyways, that's the past. That, that right there, that instance is in the past. Let's talk about the present. Um, so he, here's, here's what happens. Saul, Saul right away gets to work. Verse 20, he's in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. At once. It's not hesitating, not waiting. Right away, he's got a new job. And he's still at it three years later in Jerusalem, where we read how he, he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord, talking and debating with the Hellenistic Jews. From the moment that Saul uh, encountered Jesus and, and was healed when Ananias visited him. From that moment on, he, he, had a new, he, had new, he had a new mission in life. He wanted to tell everybody that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Savior. That was his whole life's work. And it wasn't received very well at first. Uh, it wasn't received well in Damascus where eventually there was this death threat and, and they wanted to kill him. It wasn't received well in Jerusalem, where, where again, people tried to, to kill him. And, and you might go, well, why are they trying to kill him? He, just because he's saying something they don't like, they're, they're going to try to take his life? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And we've been talking, as we've gone through the book of Acts, we've talked about why the gospel was so controversial and incendiary in the ancient world, and why it is today too. And we've mostly, uh, we've often looked at that from a human kind of perspective. This is, this is why people got worked up about it. But there, there's something else going on here. The degree of hostility indicates that it wasn't, just, it wasn't just that humans got worked up about this, but that there was a spiritual attack at work in this too. You, you know, the Bible, the New Testament especially, clearly and unambiguously uh, affirms the existence of supernatural personal evil in the world, led by a being variously called Satan, the devil, the evil one, the serpent, the snake, whatever you want to call him. The Bible says, no, this, 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 this thing is real. This personality is, is real. In Revelation 12, we, we went through this at Christmas. Christmas is war. That's, that was the sermon series. And uh, we looked at how in Revelation 12, there's this dragon who eagerly wants to devour the Messiah the moment he's born. And when that doesn't succeed, he goes after and tries to destroy all those who follow after Jesus. And so this, this dragon, this, this evil one, the devil, he hates God. He hates the gospel. He hates the church. In fact, the gospel is the greatest threat to Satan's kingdom, to what he has built in terms of holding people in bondage, holding the world in bondage. The gospel is the greatest threat to that. And so he will do whatever he can to, to erase it, to stop its spread. And you know this as, as parents. If you see, and this is, it's kind of a, you know, it's obviously you're Satan, it's in, in a perverse way, but as parents, you know that if you see your kids going a certain way, starting to, to live or act in certain ways that aren't good, you're, you're gonna do what you can to uproot that, to shut that down, right? When I was, when I was maybe uh, eight, eight years old or so, um, me and a friend, one day, we were walking home from school and we were real philosophers, you know, we were real deep thinkers. And we, we said, you know, um, swear words are just words. Like, they're just words. That's all they are. And so we started shouting swear words at the top of our lungs on our walk home from school one day. And, and I was, uh, you know, this is a small little conservative Mennonite town in Manitoba, and I was the youth pastor's son. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> we're just shouting out swear words on our way home from school because we were like, we really were proud of ourselves. We were like, we are so enlightened. And I came home and I told my parents about it as, as, and I thought they would be pleased. I honestly thought that they thought that they would be like, wow, Craig, you are so enlightened. You're so advanced. You've come to this realization. They didn't. They, they didn't think that, that that was that great. And they kind of told me right away, no, you really shouldn't be doing that. Please stop right now, instantly. Uh, and, and if I hadn't, I would imagine that uh, we might have gotten the whole uh, soap in the mouth trick, per perhaps. I heard that happen to Nate when he was a kid. You should ask him about it sometime. Anyways, um, they, they shut that down. They did not want that to go any further. And so again, in a perverse way, that's what Satan does. He, he sees the gospel spreading and advancing, and, and he wants to stop that because, because all of a sudden people aren't going to be in his grasp anymore. And so especially when you get a guy like Saul, who is an educated, zealous, passionate person who was formerly one of your foremost henchmen in kind of stamping out the church. All of a sudden, he's turned and he's advocating for Jesus and he's being used by the Holy Spirit to set other people free. That's gotta end. And so Satan does everything he can. He uses everyone he can. It's not just the Jewish fellow Jews, it's, it's, it's others too. In, uh, in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about this escape, this daring midnight escape from, from Damascus. And he says, outside the walls, we're waiting the, the forces of Arabia. It was like some people in Damascus wanted to kill him. There were people lying in wait outside of Damascus to get him as well. It was just this massive opposition from every angle to, to try to, to stop this man who God was going to use in, in a mighty way. So it should not surprise us if the kingdom of God advances in the world that there will always, always be a counterattack, that Satan is going to do anything he can to stop that from happening. It shouldn't surprise us that if God uses us to make Jesus known, to set others free, that, that we are going to come under spiritual attack. And I would say that we experienced that as a church. That when we were, I've shared about this, but when we were building this facility, we had um, from, from a few, a small number of individuals in the wider community, just a massive amount of, of hostility. It would seem to me at an irrational level. And I think, again, that was because of, of spiritual attack. As I look at what God has done with this, with this space and with this church in the last eight months and how he's blessed it and, and made it a blessing. And, and yeah, no wonder Satan tried to destroy this before it even really got, got underway. And all of this reminds me of, um, of a story of, of something that happened in New York among the teenage gangs of New York in the 1950s. David Wilkerson was, uh, he was a, a country preacher who uh, received a calling most unlikely guy to receive a calling to go and minister to the, the most brutal, violent, cruelest kind of teenage gangs in, in Brooklyn. And, uh, and so I've got two books about this actually. Guys, the Pastor, Pastor Craig's library is open for business. If you want to borrow one of these, you talk to me. I'm happy to give these books out. Um, so uh, a couple stories about that, but one guy, Nicky Cruz, he was the leader of a gang called the Mau Mau's, maybe the most, the craziest most violent, vicious gang member of, of all. And long story short, Nicky Cruz came to faith in Jesus. And, and he, like Saul, kind of turned from this old way of life 
and, and kind of received a, a love and a peace that he had never known before. He's, he was a new creation. A few weeks after his conversion, he goes to, uh, to a church and he shares his testimony at this church. And after the service, a rival gang rolls up and riddles the church with bullets. Nobody gets killed, but, but this gang just comes. They're trying to take him out. That same night, he's walking home from the church and another rival gang member confronts him, stabs him a couple of times, tries to kill him to teach him a lesson for a turning square. Uh, the day after that, Nicky Cruz goes with David Wilkerson to a town a few hours away to share his testimony there. And a rumor starts swirling in that town that Nicky Cruz is still a gang leader and has come to this town to start a new gang, which totally upended his potential ministry there. So here you've got disbelief from fellow Christians because of his past and violent opposition from evil because of his present. Nicky Cruz could relate to Saul of Tarsus. So what does God do in a situation like that? What does he do when we come under attack like that because of our ministry, because of our work? He does a lot. But just sticking with what we read here in Acts 9, God provides Saul with the means to endure through the church. You notice that? That these same believers who were hesitant to receive him who, who didn't believe that he really was a disciple of Jesus, end up supporting him, looking out for him, and enabling him to escape with his life. That in Damascus, they lower him in a basket from the city walls. In Jerusalem, they find out about the plot. They put him on a ship and, and send him back to, to his home, to Tarsus. And in Nicky Cruz's case, while he was in that town, a woman showed up the next day, a 72-year-old woman who said that the Holy Spirit had spoken to her a previous night and said that she had to come and bring a boy named Nicky Cruz from this place back home safely. God uses his people to deliver his people. And so to go back to a point I made last week, you are gifted if you are a follower of Jesus, you are gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve, to minister, to make him known. But you are tied together to other believers by that same Holy Spirit. You are part of his body. You are part of the church. And you need that. I know I'm preaching to the choir here because you're, you're, you're here, but, but people need to know this, that if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be in community with others. You need to be accountable to them. You need to be prayed for by others. You need to be supported by them. This only works. Following Jesus only works. Serving Jesus only works if you are tied together with other believers. So don't neglect this gift. When you encounter opposition, when Satan tries to destroy you, the church is one of the primary gifts God has given us to enable us to endure. Don't neglect the gift. Lean on your brothers and sisters. Be part of the church. It's a gift that God has given us when we encounter opposition. So, Saul's road, one of joy, one of euphoria, also one of, of real challenge because of his past, because people won't accept him, won't believe it, because of his present, because, because of evil's opposition to what he is doing. But what Saul found out was that it wasn't really going to change in the years ahead. Uh, one guy at the, uh, the early morning men's group last week was kind of, we were talking about suffering. We're talking about Paul and suffering. And, and he said, you know, I really don't like suffering, like physical bodily pain. And another guy, some years older than him said, well, you better get used to it, buddy. 
It's not getting any better. Something along those lines. Um, those aren't the words that we want to hear, right? We want to hear, oh, it's going to get better. But, but sometimes uh, we're, we're told, even by God, look, expect things to get even rougher. I think this is, I think this is what Saul hears from, from Jesus. Jesus tells Ananias when he, when he says, go, you know, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, their kings, and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And I, I mean, maybe there's some disagreement about this, but I think there... Jesus is telling Saul, look, this is what's in store for you. You follow me. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be hardship. I'm warning you ahead of time. See, here's the thought experiment. What if I could go 20 years into the future? I could time travel 20 years and look at what life had in store for you if you faithfully followed Jesus. And what if I I came back and I told you, well, here's what's going to happen. You're, You're going to be flogged with whips and you're going to be beaten with rods, you're going to be imprisoned. Actually, all those things are going to happen to you more than once. Like, it's going to happen regularly. You're going to be in danger everywhere you go. There's going to be no place that's safe for you. And there are going to be all kinds of people who want to kill you, like people from all kinds of different backgrounds. And you're going to go seasons of your life without food, without clothing, without shelter. You're going to spend a whole day and the night just floating around in the cold Open seas. I mean, that's what's in store for you. Some of you would be like, I want off the ride now. I am not interested in this. That's exactly the list that Paul wrote to the Corinthians 20 years later and said, this, this is what I've gone through. And I don't, I don't think God kind of gave him like the, the whole list. It wasn't like bingo where Saul was like, okay, I got that, got that, got that. Oh, good, I'm almost to the end of this. It's not like God gave him that list ahead of time, I don't think. But God made it very clear to him, you are going to suffer. There is going to be hardship. You got to expect it. And I, I wonder sometimes, if, if that was in store for me, would I want to know ahead of time? You know, next month will be five years for me here at the, at the bridge as, as the pastor. And the last eight months or so have been probably the most uh, life-giving, joyful, exciting months of ministry in my, in my whole life. It's, it's, it's just been incredible to see God at work in this place. The first four years, though, were, I wouldn't describe that way. They were really, really challenging. And in fact, a couple of those years were, were some of the most challenging years of, of my life. And, and if God, I sometimes wonder if God had told me, this is what you're going to have to go through in the first four years, I don't know if I would have said yes. You know, I, I don't know if I would have said, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm still in. I was young, I was naive. <laughs> I don't know. But maybe, maybe if God had told me, okay, you're going to go through this, but, there, but, but this is the purpose. I've got a purpose for that. I'm going to do something in you. In fact, there, there's going to be something on the other side of that. Well, then maybe I would have. And I think that's what God does for Saul in preparing him for what lies ahead. I mean, right there in that verse, God, Jesus tells him that, you are, that, that Saul is going to be his chosen instrument to proclaim his name. So there's the purpose, right? There, there's the purpose. You're going to suffer for my name. The purpose is that you're going to make Jesus known. Jesus is going to be made known through your sufferings, through your trials. This, this, this is the reward for Saul is to make Jesus known through his life, even in the midst of all of that. So, so God equips us for the, the certain future of hardship by telling us, look, I'm going to do something with that. I've got a purpose for that. In fact, there's a reward on the other side. I think about Revelation 2, where Jesus tells the church in Smyrna, do not be afraid. 
of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Here's Jesus telling them, you are going to suffer. You are going to be persecuted. You are going to be opposed, but I'm in charge here. The only things that can happen to you are the things I allow to happen and I can use them to accomplish my purposes. I'm gonna test you. I'm gonna make myself known through you. And in fact, there's this reward, this eternal, this eternal victor's crown that comes afterwards. It's gonna be temporary and I'm gonna do something with this. Same kind of idea. I think about Jesus' call to discipleship in the, in the Gospel of Mark where he says, anyone who wants to be my disciple has to count the cost. You've got to know that your own life might be required from you. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must take up the cross daily and follow me. Anyone who, who you, you have to be willing to give up your life for Jesus and for the sake of the gospel to be his disciple. That's a huge cost. Jesus wants you to know it ahead of time. He wants you to know this is what you have to be prepared to do. But then he also says in Mark, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come eternal life. You might lose. You might sacrifice. You might have things stripped away from you if you follow Jesus. It might be a rough road, but there is a city waiting for you, the celestial city. There is, there is joy. There is, there is the presence of God, and he is going to work through the difficulties even now to make himself known. I think about Hebrews 12, where we read the instruction to run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, I want you, I want you to be prepared. I believe that, the, and I've said this before, I believe that the church in Canada, the church in the global West is in for it. That there will be more and more opposition. That there will be more and more hardship. I want you to be prepared for that. I want you to be prepared, be prepared for the fact that things may be required of you. You may not be able to get your cake and eat it too in terms of having everything that this world has to offer as well as having Jesus. You might actually need to make the choice. But I also want you to know that it is so much better to follow Jesus. That, that if you follow Jesus, he promises to give you everything you need, to provide you with everything you need. He promises to fill you with his Holy Spirit he promised to put you in a community, to give you relationships with others who will build you up, who will encourage you. He promises to be with you always to the very end of the age. And he promises that if you stick with it, there is a reward, the reward of the victor's crown. So set your eyes on Jesus because resurrection is coming. Set your eyes on Jesus because he suffered 
for us, died for us, rose from the dead for us, and even now intercedes at the right hand of our Father God in heaven for us. Set your eyes on Jesus so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He is with you. He will see you through this. Expect it. Trust it. Amen? Thanks for joining us at the Bridge Church in this way. If God has spoken to you through his word, or if you're wanting to reach out to pray, or just wanting to know more about our church, access our website. There you can connect with us and also have access to other contents. We are a church that lives to know Jesus Christ personally and to make him known. We believe he is the hope of the world and wants to give you hope as well. We believe the best news ever has come in and through him. May you know him more and make him known today. We'd love to hear from you.